Welcome to the Tabernacle Podcast with John Vermilia and me, Britton Bishop. What's up, John? What is up is I'm enjoying a delicious cup of coffee, and I'm wondering where Martin Rizzi is. Uh, who's <laughs> the campus? Refills. Yeah, yeah. He's campus pastor here at the Buckley campus, but he's also the official podcast intern. And he's supposed to be making us coffee. Yeah, and that's a that's a high role. That's that honestly, there's like executive pastor, associate pastor, lead pastor, podcast intern. There you go. Podcast. So that's the way it works. Yeah. I know it doesn't make sense to or everybody else. Or when it else. comes to Tim Burgess, yeah. whoever's making the coffee right. has that's the, the highest most important office. person we have. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this is episode six, uh, part two of Tim Burgess's Change Life Story. But before we dive into that, I want to welcome our other guests. So uh, some of you have probably noticed we're getting a few episodes in. We're getting kind of comfortable. So we had to rein it in and bring the chaperone in. Ben Brown, what's up, my man? How hey, doing? thanks for having me here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard things are getting a little bit salty down here in the dungeon, and um, I was sent in to make sure that we are we remain holy. <laughs> He's on a mission from yeah. God. I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how I ended up being the adult in the room. Yeah, but you did. But you're, you did. You're, the, you're the adult, and you know, to be honest, the one wearing the beeper out is John. <laughs> Oh yeah, you right. know, just it's it's been a little. No, we just have to trim shocking. those parts out of the episodes. Well, they are. So yeah. no, got an image. Kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're excited. Um, I know part one was one that really impacted me, and it was really just it was cool hearing your heart and hearing a part of your story because there. When I showed up, it was this extremely um, wise pastor that pretty much ran the place emotionally, and it was really cool um, getting to hear kind of how we start all the change of life story what the heck happened yeah and so um if you're if you're just tuning in and you haven't heard part one of tim's change life story i would encourage you to push pause right now go back listen to part one because it's something that you don't want to miss as we kind of dig into this part two but um yeah so this is episode six tim burgess change life story yeah and where where we left off the story uh which was it was it was powerful for me as well um, hearing it again, and I've heard it several times. I've heard bits and pieces of it, but the great thing here is this is the first time I've heard it all in one sitting. And uh, just a recap where we're at, Tim had shared with us um, uh, growing up in a pastor's home, uh, his father, someone he revered, I would say one of your heroes, yep. uh, a man who could preach the word, uh, your mom who uh, is a saint, um, being Amen. the youngest in this pastor's family. And uh, the short version is, is that when Tim turned 18, he wanted to get out and go away to run. And uh, we went to Arizona, where Tim's, um, let's say his career in drugs and alcohol um, endeared him to the Hall of Fame of yeah. drugs and alcohol. And another thing that I've always appreciated about Tim, for those of you that are listening, is I've never heard him glorify that part of his life. Um There'll be some laughter, and there's, but there's more pain than laughter on this side of sobriety. But we're not there yet. Where where the Tim or, or where the Tim story had accelerated, Tim's met Heidi. Uh, Tim and Heidi have moved back to Michigan, and uh, they've had their first child, and uh, uh, that's where the wheels begin to come off. And Tim finds himself in rehab. And where we ended last time is you had come to a moment in rehab. In the bathroom of the room you've been assigned to, where there was a prayer, where you literally got on your knees and uh, you had a conversation with God. And we haven't got to the next morning yet, but um, what was that like? Well, what was that next morning like after that night? Was it miraculous? Was it rainbows and unicorns? Was it just glory to glory ever since? Yeah, or, I, yeah. I, I graduated the next morning. Uh, <laughs> no, it was... Uh, <clears throat> 
it was still the the fear factor that I was talking about was gone. Um, I tried to manufacture it a few different times, and uh, you know I learned as you know from my dad. Basically, there are times you just suit up and show up and go. You know, uh, and and that's kind of the mode I was in. Uh, still came along vast amounts of stress. Uh, you know, when you're digging into yourself uh, and you have some professional Jedis around you that are, uh, you know, sensing when you're getting off track, even going to tell some lies, man, they just pull you right back in to the truth. Uh, and it's spending so much time being manipulative, uh, in control of situations, you know, so I thought uh, that was a whole new world to jump into. Did you ever think, like, as you were going into that and kind of meeting those Jedis that you're explaining in those men, did you ever have an inkling that you would be that man someday to other men? No, I, you know, I never did. And, you know, I still hope to arrive there. I've been given this, you know, a, a lot of, uh, I'm not going to say undo, but a lot of praise. A wise and, man and once told you, me, we yeah. never arrive, we continue. Yes. I don't know who that was. Yeah. It might have been this guy named Tim Burgess. Yeah. But. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly don't feel that way personally. Uh, it is a, you know, I, I'm insanely grateful for the role God's given me mm. uh, and the people that he's put in my life today. Uh, and there's been a lot of use, you know, along, along this journey, uh, you know, to get to the tabernacle. But yeah, you know, it, the routines at uh, uh, the treatment center, you know, that you, you can eat all you want, basically. Um, they, they have healthy stuff. Uh, the most disappointing thing, and this was probably harder than getting over alcohol, was uh, there was no caffeine. Everything was decaf. Oh, my. And every pop was diet. And it's like, I'm. That's re- communist. I'm, I'm really in hell right now, is kind of how it felt. Uh, I had a, like a raging headache for probably five days. To get over, I didn't realize how addicted to coffee I was. Wow. Um, not that that's part of my life today, uh, but um, so the sarcasm the, in yeah. this room is, so, is well, thicker the, than the asbestos. The, you know, the routine was uh, here's this session, here's that session. You know, those could uh, be so, sometimes it was just uh, let's learn about the medical repercussions of what you're doing to your body. Uh, most of it was mental health, um, and let's dig to the root of the problem. The root of the problem isn't alcohol or drugs. Uh, that's how it manifested in me. You know, the root of the problem is, uh, you know, as I l- learned from a guy named Joe, you got a worship problem. And, uh, man, when he told me that, that really uh, made me frustrated. Uh, so Joe's like, well, okay, if you don't have a worship problem, come to my church service, you know. And Sunday's a day off. And the last thing I want to go is sit with this guy named Joe Kelly uh, and have him read me like a book. And torment my soul and brain. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, but I went. There was about five of us. My, that was one time my wife could come, and we would sit. And uh, Joe, it's awesome because Joe can't sing very well out loud, uh, as far as classic goes. And he would just lead us. We had no music, no nothing, and you know, I uh, would sing the song "I Love You, Lord." And uh, so I, I was able to do that with him five times. And by the fifth time, I was really into the song and i didn't care what anybody's voice sounded like it was it was probably one of the more authentic worship experiences um and so that was kind of the inkling that yeah you've got this addiction uh and this is what it's going to do to you if you continue uh but you've been given this reprieve and an opportunity a rare opportunity to be surrounded by people that care uh and what choice are you going to make uh but then to have a guy who would 
tell me I've got a worship problem. Everybody else is saying, oh, you're an addict. You know, you need to stay away from drugs and alcohol. Uh, yeah, that sounded impossible. Um, but uh, this this worship problem, I really started thinking about when I got out of treatment. So there's not like a graduation ceremony to get out. I, I really don't think it's uh, even that interesting to go through all of counseling. You know, what, what happened, what happened. Uh, it's getting raw. Uh, and it can be as successful as you desire it to be. Um, and if you keep hiding stuff, I don't care how much counseling, therapy, good people you got around you, you will never get to the root of the problem. You've got to get honest. So so can you explain what, what was the worship problem? Uh, I like was just wor- put it in black and white. I, I, I worship myself. Uh, I worship my feelings uh, and my soundness of mind. Uh, that's what I thought. And, you know, I had explained... I think in the last podcast that I, uh, you know, the first time I drank, I got absolutely hammered and it was Nirvana. And that's what I was, I was trying to reproduce that. That was my worship problem. Gotcha. I, that was, that was God. So that was the beginning of the shift from worshiping that to placing your worship, your faith, your trust in Christ, yeah. on God. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, initially it wasn't in Christ. It was, uh, AA has a phrase, it's, uh, God as you understand him. Gotcha. Um, and that's kind of, uh, nondescript, <laughs> uh, but that's where I could start. Yeah. Um, you know, Tim, you <coughs> used that phrase, uh, manipulative, mm-hmm. and then you had these, these, as we've said, Jedis that could, that were keeping tabs on you. Mm-hmm. So did you find yourself in that, uh, in those moments when you're in rehab, uh, using some of those manipulative tools and... And if so, how did that go, and what was your reaction? Huh. Uh, yeah, I was deathly afraid of it. Um, when you're afraid, you're, uh, the, the panic level can rise. And so the skill in manipulation, um, I was outclassed. It's like uh, being a college hockey player who's really good and suddenly ended up in the NHL. Um, you're getting your butt kicked all day. Uh, and everything you think you can do and you want to do, somebody's there to take it away. That's exactly what it was like. Uh, so the the biggest challenge was actually showing up. Okay. Right? Because I, I didn't have a court order. I didn't have handcuffs or an ankle monitor. Uh, the biggest challenge was I have to make this choice to whether I'm going into this meeting or not. Uh, and I'm pretty stubborn, and I wasn't going to let people win. So, Wait, so that's what kept you there was just that desire to not let people win or what yeah. kept you there? Because you, yeah. you said in the part one there was a moment where it was like I could pack my bags and be somewhere else tomorrow. Yep, yep. yeah, and, and I, I, I literally was ready to do that. Um, you know, it wasn't – that many years ago that my wife heard that story for the first time and you know it kind of shocked her uh, a little bit but that's the reels that's how desperate i was um repeat your question for me what kept you there and what kept me there you know i had a family looking at me um as much as i want to pretend like i'm really independent and strong i'm weak uh in a lot of areas and what they thought about me um the thought of once once that fear, once God really took that fear away, that uh, it wasn't even fear, it was panic, just a pure panic. Once it's gone, um, then it's like this is this is your chance uh, to actually follow through with something. Because as a manipulator, Ben, uh, you know, manipulation is a, a great tool for, in many areas, but one of them is so I don't actually have to show up, right? And I don't actually have to 
like get a grade, get measured. You know, around here we talk about it. If you can't measure it, it's not valuable. Um, and some things are hard to measure. I was able to keep myself from ever being measured. Right. Yeah. And so were there were you for the first time in your life were you having these these suddenly these men or these these people that are looking at you going no 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 mm-hmm. and what so suddenly you're being called out and saying no we're going to hold you accountable for this like um were they stripping those manipulation tools yeah. away from you then yeah yeah, yeah. I mean they they were they weren't really stripping them away uh, because they wanted it to be my choice. Oh, good right? call. And yeah. that, uh, but they were exposing them to the light. Uh, and you know, I don't. If you guys can remember back, like when you knew you were doing wrong and you got totally busted, like boom. And it's I don't care who it is, some somebody in your life that that means something to you. The redness in the face happens. You yep. know, the heat rises. The you get heart, flushed. And, yeah, you're uh, yeah, caught. And Stone cold. And it is a you know, I know that experience because I've experienced it on the positive side too later in life. But it's that it's that total gut feeling, uh, man. Everything physical that you think happens during those times does sweaty palms, uh, redness of face, blah blah blah. That was it. Hey, well, what was the signal? No, he's not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're doing hand uh, signals so, here at the moment. Yeah, okay, we're, so we're I'm trying ready. to be too professional, folks. For yeah, those yeah, yeah, listening, yeah, we're yeah. like, man, we got to give them yeah, our yeah. best. And it's like, yeah, yeah. no, we'll just talk to each no, other. No, we're going to edit this part out. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Tim. Yes. So you're surrounded by guys that are better uh, manipulators than you ever thought you were. Yeah, They're every, seeing every, right through that. Every one of them was a recovering addict of some type. Right. You said you got out. What was the next move after I what got out? It? Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, Five years of difficulty, um, you know, to put it in a really broad brushstroke. Uh, while I was in, um, several family members and a couple of cool people in the community began to reach out to my wife, uh, and she began to take ownership of her own stuff, right? Uh, Wait a minute. What do you mean your own stuff? Yeah. This was your problem. <laughs> yeah, this has nothing to and do with her, right? And, and so, you know, we're going to counseling together. We're, I, I had this uh, insane fear. I really didn't know how to live without drugs and alcohol. And it's not like I was this drooling, you know, person behind the dumpster at church. You know, I'm just this guy uh, who had the appearance of kind of being okay. Um but I didn't really know how to live life on a daily basis without some type of help. Right. And drugs and so medication. So essentially, and this, is, this is your medication of choice. And uh, so I knew the one place where I got relief and that I got uh, support was meetings, AA meetings. Uh, I lived in Traverse City at the time. And so there were, um, I don't know, probably 30 meetings a day, you know, around the area. And there still is today, um, except with COVID, that's changed a little bit. But anyways, uh I went to two meetings a day for the first year. Uh, they said uh, I went to my first meeting and you know met a couple of guys, and later they became my sponsors. and And this was in the first ten days uh, of being out. And the guy looked at me. He said, "You'll never make it," you know. Uh, and I'm going, "What are you talking about? You'll never make it." And he goes, "You know, I uh, I challenge you to be quiet during meetings. Just listen. You don't need to speak." I was like, "All right." I can do that. And it's like three meetings later, I started to speak and he stood up. And uh, I mean, AA used to be a little harsher, a little more demanding than it is today, at least in my experience. Uh, And he slammed a $20 bill on the table and slid it over to me and said, get the hell out of here. 
and I'm mortified. I have that same feeling I had it back when I got busted by the counselors, right? So you're uh, in an and, AA meeting and yeah, the guy's yelling at you? The guy's yelling at me and telling me to get out. Uh, and he goes, the 20 bucks, that's for your first drinks because you're never going to make it. Well, what I found out later, they're playing me like a fiddle, right? Uh, and, you know, he's they want me to stop talking so much and actually start absorbing because that's part of a manipulation tool. Put me in a room with a bunch of mechanics. I can BS my way for a while, right? Or if I fill the air with enough of my own words, <laughs> yes. I don't have to hear the words exactly. that you've got for me. Yeah. And I can I can use that like a shield to, de- yeah. to deflect. Yeah. So I'm not familiar um, with the term you're using. Breakdown. So you said you had a sponsor. What is that relationship? What does that look like? Um, so let's say uh, you want to learn more about Jesus, right? Uh, and you see somebody that you really admire their walk. And it isn't just what they say, it's how they live. And generally, you're seeing the light through them somehow, uh, maybe a sense of peace, um, maybe watching them go through a really chaotic situation and not lose their mind in one way or another. Uh, and, and it's uh, the sponsor then agrees to help you one-on-one. And there's a whole wide range of things you can do. Now, back in the day, there was no cell phone. So making a phone call was, I hope he's home, right? Uh, so that, so that's what we did. Uh, but I met with a person, and the, the, these people helped me walk through the steps in the first year, step one through 12. You know, maybe sometime we can talk about that. That's yeah. a, too long. Uh, but actually helping me understand them and apply them. Because the first three steps are uh, in your brain. You know, hopefully making it to your heart. And the next uh, nine, if my math is right, are action. Uh, and Does the sponsor cut. choose you or do you choose your sponsor? <coughs> um, you choose your sponsor. Why did you choose the one you chose? Um, they had Number one, they had a lot of years of sobriety. You know, the, the least of uh, – uh, there was actually three guys. <coughs> Excuse me. I got no, something in good. my throat here. Uh and, 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 and they all had uh, 20-some years of, of uh, sobriety. Okay. And there's something really admirable about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I can remember thinking, boy, if I can ever get to five years, that would be a miracle. Man, I will have arrived. Five years was so far away. Uh, and, it, you know, that's once you get a little older, that's not the way it is uh, so much. But these guys were living it, and they knew the language, and there was something that was drawing them to me. What uh, was happening? So there's that piece where you're – Figuring yourself out, you're in two meetings a day, I think is what you yeah, said. Yeah, me- I did two meetings a day for the first year. Huge piece of commitment there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was, had- that? what was that doing with your marriage? Uh, stressing the heck out of it. Yeah? Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, Heidi had begun to pursue, uh, with every alcoholic that is married or has a, uh, you know, some close relationship, we're going to surround ourselves with somebody that's flamingly codependent. And, you know, in my case, I'm talking a highly educated woman making good money, you know, uh, has her stuff together. It's a real checklist kind of uh, thing that I couldn't do. Um, But she also was an enabler, right? And so she was focused. We were in counseling one time, and and I got really sick of this counseling we were doing, all three of us, my wife, myself, and the counselor. Uh, And I said, I'm sitting in there, and Joe, again, was our counselor, and he goes, Tim, you look frustrated. What's up? And I said, Joe, I'm just tired of coming here and getting my ass kicked. I really am. It's just, uh, you know, when we come in, it's like I'm just a complete problem. And he just did this big time out and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, okay, I see where this is now. Thanks for the clarity. And he looked at my wife, and he said, uh, Heidi, 
uh, regardless of what Tim ever does, you know, you're just as sick as he is. If you don't take this seriously, you and Tim will be divorced in less than a year. And uh, you, what you'll do is you'll go marry somebody else that looks a little different than Tim, but he will be another alcoholic, I promise you. And it shocked my wife. And I'm trying really hard not to jump up on the couch and dance. Like, yeah. Probably not a good move. No, no I didn't. Yeah. I didn't not do good that. Man. But that was the feeling. It's yeah. like, holy cow, it isn't just, it's us, mm. is what I wanted to get to. Was there a shift that happened after that kind of come to Jesus meeting of like, hey, this is actually somebody said the hard thing. Was there a shift or was there this piece? Because I can imagine, I don't want to tell her story or speak for her, but I can imagine there's a piece within that where, You've said it. Heidi's successful. She's mm-hmm. doing really well. Was there a piece where she, like, where your marriage was like a? Why is this guy holding me back or anything like that? Or was that ever a thing? Or, um, yeah, I, I, it probably was towards the end. I don't know. I've never really looked at it yeah. that way. Um, but you know, her, uh, what ended up happening was she ended up really looking at herself, really mm-hmm. start, you know, pursuing Alanon, uh, in a in a really heavy way, um, and we both got. You know, like like AA saved, uh, where like, hey, we kind of see the light. Like we're really jacked up, and there's been alcoholics in our family, and you know, th- this is really not a great way to live. There's a better way to do this, and the steps are one of the ways. Uh, you know, so it was it was kind of like that motivation. We really started working on that. Problem is that we really were more soapboxy, which is pretty common in that first year, because you're suddenly experiencing something brand new, and you believe everybody else needs it, whether they do or don't. Right. So what was changing in your relationship with Heidi when, when suddenly Tim's working on Tim and then suddenly Heidi has this realization and Joe calls her out and says, well, yeah, yeah you have a part to play in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there had to be probably a process where she finally decided, and I know Heidi well enough, that mm-hmm. where, where she said, okay, I, I need to own my part of yeah. this. Yeah. What started changing in how you guys interacted? Um, well, we had this pseudo uh, healthy behavior together. Um, but what that really entitled us to is, is we're both beginning to understand feelings. Like this is how I feel. Uh, and we would use those to be more, uh, weaponized than anything else. So our arguments weren't less, they might've been less loud, uh, but they were equally as intense as before, just very adversarial. And, You know, it would go along the lines of, uh, you know, her going, hey, sweetheart, I'm feeling this about the situation we're going into. Um, And and feelings are part of it. We still use logic and all of that stuff, you know, in in those. But when the feelings with things would come up, you know, my response may be, yeah, you know, I feel the same thing, only mine's a little worse than yours. Right. Um, That was the biggest conflict that her and I went through other than the whole God realm. Um, that was the biggest problem was trying to figure out how could I listen to her feelings without trying to own them. She was having feelings whether I was there or not. And I'm not that big of a deal to cause them, uh, vice versa. Same with her, uh, you know, for her to, you know, the, uh, she's a fixer in some ways wants to help take care of the problem. That's a good thing unless it's unhealthy. Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, it was learning how to uh, have disagreements or even discussions that weren't disagreements without feeling threatened. Um, you know, we were both pretty much the center of the universe. 
okay. at that time. So so we've used this word here, codependent, yeah. and this is a word that gets thrown out just a ton. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of those words sometimes we use and we really don't fully understand what that means. So um, in, in your in your eyes, Tim, like just unpack that for anybody who's listening. Like, okay, what is this term codependent? Um, brilliant question. It, very, very long answer. But simply um, the codependent uh, – they're genuinely trying to help, and they may have good motives. Most codependent behavior is very learned. Um, and so, you know, I've watched couples come in, Ben, and uh, we're counseling, and, and just for 10 minutes, and I'll say, you know, to him or her, was it your mom or your dad that was an alcoholic? And they're absolutely stunned uh, that I knew that. Um, but it's because it's such a classic behavior. And, uh, the basic codependent thing is this, is uh, if I do this behavior, your response will be boom, whatever it is, not giving freedom, independence. Uh, there's a lot of logic involved uh, that doesn't really play out the way you want to. So it's, uh, you know, my wife could be, if I was uh, prettier, uh, this wouldn't be a problem. You know, so now I'm going to focus on my appearance or, uh, you know, if I was more uh, Christian-like uh, then Tim will come around, right? Uh, and it's a really fruitless way to live. You know, all alcoholics, when they begin to, uh, you know, have a little bit of sobriety, understand how codependent they are. Um, so that's kind of my definition. Is that an answer? Yeah, that helps. I think that that does clarify. There's a level of, um, it, with good intentions, but a manipulation of, mm -hmm. if I do this, this should be the result. Yes. Okay, yes. great. So if you're listening, you're getting a crash course on the language of recovery. Um, we've learned that Tim uh, Tim is uh, reluctantly coming to the conclusion that he has a problem and he's an alcoholic. With every alcoholic or rageaholic or drugaholic mm -hmm. or shopaholic or whatever aholic you are, there's usually someone who's also a codependent. Correct. And they're the persons that are closest to you. Many times it's a spouse. Sometimes it can be a boyfriend or girlfriend or yeah. a child can learn codependent behavior. Yep. And so um, just one thing I want to say for our listeners is uh, please don't be afraid by this podcast because there's a, one, of, one of the things that I, that I have observed is how many people wonder if they have a problem. And then they start hearing a story like Tim's, and all of a sudden they're not interested in that episode. They're not interested in that in that night at church. They're not interested in that change life story. And I would just encourage listeners to have the courage to stay with it, whether you might have a problem with some type of aholic or if you might be a codependent. And so what what you guys learned was was both of you. Yes. And that and and that you're learning a new language. Mm -hmm. At the same time, are we having more babies? Do we have a job outside? Are, are you yeah. back at the filling station? Did you become the bartender? Uh, no, I didn't do any of those. Uh, uh, I didn't have any babies. Um, <laughs> but uh, in, the, in the midst of that, John, uh, we ended up, um, I think, two or three years later. I can't remember the time, about three years. Uh, that's when we adopted our son, Mark, um, and he became part of our family as an infant. Uh, and that that was a whole new realm of stress and stuff. But man, we met God put all the right people in place, you know. And, and we're getting better at what we're doing. Uh, I learned to take timeouts. Uh, I'm feeling the feelings. Uh, haven't said anything damaging yet. Uh, I learned how to go to the garage um, and 
say to my wife on the way out, it's not your fault. And boom, out I'd go. And I might slam a hammer around for a while or whatever. I might be out for six minutes or six hours, depending on my uh, immaturity level and fear at that moment. Uh, but uh, we, you know, just moving on. So we're five years in. We're both still heavily involved in recovery. We begin teaching a, a class, uh, and it was uh, 12 Steps for Christians. And uh, there's a there's a book out there called that, and it is – uh, 12 Steps in Related Scripture, um, and it really teaches us the 12 Steps to Jesus um, is what it is when it's to the conclusion. Uh, I don't speak for AA on any of this. So this, is, this is my stuff that I've taken from it, but I don't really see how you could fully commit to AA and not find Jesus. Whether you accept him or not is a totally different story. Right, but that's the conclusion I come to. So that's where we were really working together. Uh, it brought us um, in in a in a teaching role. You're only as good as uh, as you can be vulnerable in those types of situations. In my mind, mm-hmm. uh, and I think we both heard a bunch uh, from each other that maybe we hadn't been able to say in the privacy of our home. Right, uh, something safe about being in a group. Uh, led to a lot of great discussions. So yeah, uh, you know, we had a home, John, we were there for a while on 10th Street. We sold that, moved out uh, by Long Lake. I had a a nice house in a subdivision and, you know, eventually we ended up with four kids uh, all together. Um, And unless I'm pregnant now, that's as many as we'll have. That's as many as you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, we, we had this life. It involved, you know, just really busy, you know, four kids. Yeah, you're crazy busy. Uh, You're so outnumbered. It's ridiculous. Um, It might be the one reason to cause some people to drink (laughs) or use. But uh, But that was off limits for you. Yeah, it was totally off limits. Uh, You know, so we just did the thing where I'm working, she's working, she's uh, working less amount of days every year we're cutting back to the point where she's a stay-at-home mom for a while and that was that was probably the most restful beautiful time of my life uh from a dad husband perspective and where are you working now um i was at a place called burzma electronics at that time um my brother was running the uh traverse city branch and um you know i started out driving for him uh you know delivery type stuff uh and, and eventually when he left i kind of took his place for a while um i was not nearly as good as he was uh at that job but but i was good enough i guess uh through the course of all of this, you know, there's a lot of fantastic stories uh, that would take forever to tell that happened in our life. And some of them were really hard. Some of them were really beautiful. Um, and I would see the evidence of God, you know, right. around. And uh, and I'm still doing, uh, you know, probably three meetings a week would be my guess, somewhere in there. Um, so three three times a week, yeah, I would you're go. going to an AA meeting, yeah. and you still have a sponsor. Are, are you now sponsoring other people? Yeah, yeah. At, so at this point, I'm sponsoring others, yeah. So so, so a question that I have, because I, I can't help but think, and I know you do too, of the person that's listening that's like, oh, what is this? I mean, this sounds scary to, you know, as heck to try to dive into something like this. And you said AA maybe is not as harsh as it used to be, yeah. um, although it probably depends on where you go to AA. Yeah. But uh, – you you know, there's one thing that I remember, I, I can't remember if you said it or someone else said it, but you verified that it was true. In the road to recovery, no matter how far down the road you are, you're only three feet from the ditch. Yeah. No, no matter how far you travel, no matter how far you go. However, 
when when did you start to feel like it wasn't a minute by minute struggle? Oh man, that was a gradual change. Uh, you know, probably by the end of the first year, uh, I wasn't. I was at one point. I was living an hour at a time. You know, okay. that was just it. Uh, that was in the first year. Um, I realized that I was becoming addicted to meetings, uh, and that was kind of like it was starting to replace something. Wow. Uh, and because there's a feel good, you know, going to meetings and having somebody go, that was eloquent. Thank you. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, that's, that's the same kind of drug, uh, you know, and, and I'm still in counseling and, uh, you know, not every week, but once in a while. Uh, and it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm seeing this is going to be your addiction. Uh, and that doesn't work. You started out brilliantly. This is about you. It's about you and your relationship with God. It's about you and worship, right? So yeah, how, how, are you, how are you going to apply that? And I see um, often when I talk to people that struggle with addiction and things like that, and I don't want to speak um, out of term when I say this, but what, what I've heard often is this piece of it is like, if you have a drinking problem, quit drinking, but why do you drink? Mm-hmm. And so were you tr- was there a piece where it's like, okay, I've got a grip on this drinking thing, but there's still something that I'm trying to make up for it. And oh, so yeah. and then you're saying it's meetings. Were you, was that coming to light or were you continuing to kind of? It's uh, it, it was a real slow journey for me, but that's, you know, I'm not the most brilliant person in the world. So it's not really a surprise that it took that long. But plus I'd had a, a long time of living one way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Britain, there was a time when I, I detailed cars out of my garage uh, when I first got out and, uh, I loved it. You know, I had a little wood stove and would get it all warmed up and somebody bring me a really fancy car and I'd clean it for a million dollars. It was awesome. You know, great way to make money. Uh, one day I went out and uh, I had my fishing boat, at, you know, 16 and a half foot smoker craft decked, ready to go. And I needed to push it out of the way so I could get the car in and uh, got halfway out and I just started crying because uh, the thought came, I, I need to sell my boat. I got to sell my boat. Um, and it was because I had no clue that you could fish without using fish. I mean, the 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 live well, that's called a beer cooler, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, why would you ever fish if you can't drink? I mean, that's how it was. That was so intense, uh, you know. That slowly getting away from that. Um, the re- one of the reasons that I had to go to so many meetings and and keep going was I kept losing my focus and replacing alcohol and drugs. And it didn't matter what it was. I mean, it could be sex, porn, uh, gossip, uh, you know, wh- whatever. It was always trucks. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. trucks. Uh, you know, and, and it was all misplaced worship. And I really still didn't understand that yet. As, you know, I got further away uh, and, and the sponsors were really helping me. And one of the things was when they said, it's time for you to sponsor somebody. I was, I can't remember how far. I was probably five years in. And, and I did. Uh and it was the biggest pain in the butt in the planet. Uh, you know, I had people call me all the time, and I just want to say, grow up, right? Can you just, like, <laughs> yeah. really? Uh, Did you want to slap $20 down on the table and say, I'll give you 20 I, bucks to stop yes, calling me, go I, get a drink? <laughs> I never said that, but I felt that. Uh, yeah. You know, but it turned out to be a really profound thing um, because it's a reminder. And, you know, people would say, Tim, you got five years of sobriety, man, that is so amazing. And it's like, no, I don't. You know, I I got up at six thirty uh, this morning. It's eight thirty in the morning. Uh, I got two hours. You know, it's akin to what John said. You're three feet from the ditch. Uh, yeah, you can string some days together. But I've watched a lot of friends over the years have some very significant time. I'm talking twenty some years, and uh, 
suddenly they're sitting in the jail cell, arrested, drunk driving, have no clue how they got there. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's a level of maintenance and personal responsibility. Did you find fear developing in that? Uh, yeah, because the consequences were my wife is going to leave. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the fear. Uh, the subtle fear was my dad's going to be really disappointed. Um, you know, that was another one. It still wasn't placed properly. Um, but it was a motivator. Uh, so I'm not going to say it was bad. You know, it was a good motivator for me for a while. So where, Tim, with this, you're, you're, you are intentionally looking to God in that. I mean, that's part of the 12 steps is yeah. turning, turning our lives over to God as we understand, yep. as we understand him. Um, but would you have called yourself a Christian no. at any point in this time? No, okay. far from it. Uh, I was attending church uh, during uh, most of this time. But you, um, but you wouldn't say I'm that you teaching, were a Christian. I am teaching 12 Steps for Christians, and I am not a Christian. Uh, I knew all of the answers. I could have sat down and passed any test you gave me, especially in the Reformed Church. I could have given you all the doctrine. Like uh, a good manipulator yep, does. And, uh, but there was, there was zero belief. I used to frustrate my wife, and Heidi, if you listen, I'm so sorry for this, and the kids. We lived 20 minutes from church, and mine was a 20-minute sermon on the way home about what a jerk the pastor was and how he really doesn't know what he's talking about and if Christians really were. So I just was seething with anger at the church. That sounds like every man that comes to our church. (laughs) And it was just That's what I think. They're looking at me like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a jerk. That's what I do when I drive home after listening to you. Oh, thanks, Bob. Yeah, Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes I know I've heard Britain say, John is really beep. Yeah, stop it. Yeah, okay. No, he doesn't say that. Britain would never say that. No. Um, So, uh, you know, I continue to have challenges. and my sponsors, uh, they're all dead now, which is weird, but I'm okay with it today. Uh, you know, through the fiddle playing of my life uh, for those first, oh my gosh, 15 years probably, uh, they're pointing me to Jesus. They were just really patient. And they knew with my personality uh, and, and my pride that if they pushed, I'd leave. I'd go find somebody else. Um so they got me in uh, a position where I was helping, you know, a couple of people, uh, and, and that started to change my heart a little bit. And I wanted to believe so bad because I saw the relief that would be coming down the road. And then I'd go to church and they'd do something stupid again, like they'd <laughs> sing a song I didn't like, uh, <laughs> How dare or, they? or somebody would shake my hand when I came in. You know, <laughs> all of these big deals. Uh, so. Long story short, from there, Heidi and I, uh, one of the things I've wanted to do is build a house, right? Yeah. I always wanted to build a house, and uh, I've got a form of arthritis that's degenerative, and I knew my time was short. So um, I piled up all my a whole bunch of time, and I took a six-month leave of absence from work, and we bought this property and built a garage, and then we started building the house. Where was your property at? It's uh, just north of Buckley. We call it Buckley Heights. Okay. It's the, <laughs> it's the beautiful part of Buckley. So you were, you've, yeah. you've come from the big city, see, big to, city. Buckley, to Buckley, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. That's an important piece. It is. That's an important piece. I don't Be, want to glance past no, that. No, it was uh, pretty pretty amazing to actually end up here. Uh, the first day that we're all there. Um, Heidi left for work uh, Monday morning, and we had a fifth wheel trailer. Um, I had a uh, eight by twelve outhouse. 
um, that had a laundromat in there and a tiny little shower with a 10-gallon electric water heater in the garage. That's what we had. And uh, Heidi left for work, and the kids, if they would have been bigger, they probably would have murdered me. How old were they? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to say the oldest was 15-ish, somewhere in there. And what was your uh, youngest? Uh, four. Okay. Um, you're living in the fifth wheel. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the two older ones we made live in the garage. Um, and, I, you know, uh, so we end up down here. And uh, so that day uh, I'm looking at the kids and drove up to a lumber store and bought enough uh, lumber to build a swing set. And I built a really nice swing set. Still staying in there today. Very simple. And uh, my wife got home and she was so pissed. It's like, you're supposed to be building a house, you know, because I've always been the play guy. Let's go yeah. play and have fun. Yeah. Um, but it was actually really. I sick. love that. that yeah. The most important thing was a swing set. Yes. Because yeah. you got to yeah. have them out of your hair. Well, and it's like. <laughs> For five minutes. Yeah. Uh, so they got promised uh, that they could have a cat. Uh, we, we ended up with two and that I would build them a swing set. Um, and And then we, you know, began building. Well. Heidi is heavily involved uh, at this time. We're still homeschooling some of the kids, uh, you know, and that was good. Uh, Homeschoolers get a bad rap, Um, John, just so you know. uh, I knew that. Because, John, you've offended homeschoolers and public schoolers. uh, I know, and the homeschoolers are journaling about it right now. Right. Uh, So uh, it's it's good and bad. There's, you know, positives. But uh, so we're doing that. Um, I'm a terrible teacher, and I just want to play. So I tell my kids how to do your uh, work really fast. Focus, <laughs> focus, focus. You know, don't, no, no, you're not taking a bathroom break. Sit down. Uh, because the sooner you're done, the sooner we play. You know, that's what I taught my kids, uh, which is probably <laughs> wonderful. That's why they're all in Harvard now. Um, but anyways, uh, we're uh, – or, Tim's or, kids are brilliant. Yeah, I was just going to say every uh, single one my of them. Kids, I love Danny, them. Marcus, Jake, and Corey. Yeah, they're, they're all brilliant. They are really amazing kids. I'm, we're so blessed. But uh, so in the course of building this house, so that's a big deal, right? Uh, and Heidi is uh, attached with a homeschool group, and they had a science fair here uh, held at the Tabernacle, and my youngest son Jake wanted to enter it. Uh, and so this is my introduction to this church. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, John, but there's a whole bunch of people around, and, and there's a science fair, and Jake is uh, like five, six. Yeah, he's, he's probably six or seven. That's where he is. And he goes, Dad, I want to make this uh, thing, right, for this science fair. And it's like, what do you want to make? And he comes in with a board, and he's got this weird thing drawn on the back. And it's like, what is that? And he goes, I want you to use your router and clear that out. Um, and he really won't tell me why. So I go ahead and do that. And, uh, he had also taken apart so many of our VCRs and things that had broken. Well, he had motors out of that and he created this motor, uh, with, depending on the voltage of the battery you'd put on there, touching the wires, it would turn. Right. And then he put a pulley on the other end of this big string rubber bandy type thing, uh, with a big magnet on it and it would go through the board. And then he drew a train thing and made little train buildings along it and then he had a piece of paper train uh, around like a paper clip and when that he hit it that train would go to the station and then when he hit it the other way it'd go back right mm-hmm. uh and those christians um didn't believe that he did it they accused me of building the whole thing and i said uh he, I routed it in the back because I'm not letting a seven-year-old use a one and a half horsepower router 
you know, with a blade big enough to cut his head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not happening. All I did was route it out, and they, he ended up not winning. Uh, Just for so, the record, I, I was not invited to the homeschool <laughs> science fair that was apparently held at the Tabernacle, yeah, nor yeah. did I want to. Uh, I, I didn't want to either. But that was your first introduction. That was my first. That's yeah. the first time I'd ever been in this place called the Tabernacle. Um, John, did you know that I renamed the place the week you were gone no, last week? No. We are now the Tabithedral. Oh, yes. Uh, you know what? I did hear this okay, story. Okay, good, yeah. good. I, well, but back to the trail. Back to, thank, thank you. That was <laughs> the a bunny trail. The Tabithedral, I well, like there's it. Two, there's Better than Tabernizzle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, I'm, you know, we're, we're, I'm one Sunday morning, uh, Heidi and I would get up in the morning when the sun comes up in the summer and we faced east on that swing set and over the hill. As soon as the sun rose, I was in the building working on whatever I needed to work on to build a house to get my fan in. And, uh, all of a sudden in my head, it's like, it's Sunday and it, it's like, oh, this woman next to me. She's going to put all of this pressure on me to go to church, and I should. You know, I moved down here because Faith Reformed, the church that I used to attend, is is like 40 minutes away, and I don't ever have to go again. This is Life is unbelievably perfect, and now she's wanting me to go to this Tabithedral place, right? And, <laughs> so and, your, you so know, your little manipulation tactic to get out of church backfired a little bit yeah, right there. Yeah, okay. move, move far away, <laughs> uh, you know, because God isn't everywhere. Right. Uh, but anyways— uh, so, so she leans over and goes, hey, sweetheart, I'm going to go to church if you want to come along. You know, feel free. And if you're going to work, that's cool, too. I'll that be, sounds I'll like such a nag. And it was like the, just the <laughs> pressure from that, uh, the amount of nagging was, you know, on, and it's like. You're being facetious, I, just I so am, people I are am. clear. I'm being very yeah. facetious. And so in my head, and this is the truth, and I'm embarrassed about this, but in my head, I said to myself, if I say yes now, I'll get her off my back. And I won't ever have to answer this question again. And I said, sure, I'll go with you today. That's where we got you. And boom. So I come and there's a little meeting over at this place called the Firehouse. And I go in that building and it's like, this is really weird. Uh, I mean, it's we're right there on Planet Misfit. Uh, is where I arrived and this guy comes around the corner and he's gregarious and happy and high and all of that but and he he leaves and I'm talking to some people feeling and it's like they this place we're sitting on metal chairs we don't there's not even a pad for your butt really and you're probably going to ask for money is is what I'm thinking and sit down well you know I told you guys like growing up with my dad I'm a sermon junkie and uh, this guy steps up on the stage and 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 lets go, and it's I'm stunned. It's like who is this guy, and why in the world is he in Buckley, Michigan? I can't believe this. And of course, it was John. Uh, and you know, we kind of started this little friendship, this little connection that first time. And uh, the next thing I know, um, you know, his plan for my life was to uh, be part of the youth center. Uh, in Buckley, because you know what you need is a you know a really old guy playing with kids, uh, with a, an old guy with a temper. Uh, so I end up uh, you know somehow or other saying yes, and you know we just built this friendship that was based on it was mutual. Um, you know I held John in esteem um, because he has a gift of preaching. He's he's got, uh, you know, his prophet, priest, and king, and uh, and he's a, he's a prophet all the way, and I I can I can rally around that, and that's what I was looking for, you know, this whole time as I'm looking for because I knew the stories, but I hadn't seen it 
in my mind, authentically lived anywhere. And uh, that's what I began to see in John. And it's like, I want to be close to this fire. Was there uh, something that took your guard down? Yeah, Because, John, I mean, it's like yeah. we, we can sit here and go, oh, yeah, all those other churches. But yeah. John's the authentic. Yeah. He's the real Christian he, in the room. Yeah. And, I mean, that can really put somebody on a pedestal. But was there something that finally internally, like, just allowed you to hear maybe what all these other – like you said, you're a sermon junkie. Yeah. You've been listening to sermons. Yeah. I'm not a Christian. I'm not even buying this, really. Mm-hmm. I, But I'm going to listen and judge. What was it that suddenly just kind of took – started dismantling that brick wall that you had put up um first of all john is uh one of the best speakers i've heard period mm-hmm. um so that has to have something to do with it and that's not putting him on a pedestal and john knows that uh we have a very close relationship and i can call him out and he can call me out and neither of us have the uh the right to be offended right um so the authentic aspect of building that relationship first i was drawn by the by the gift he's given uh and it was here's the scripture here's what it says and this is what it means and this is what you can do in your life and i'm like oh my gosh i haven't heard that in so long right so it was akin to listening to my dad again Right, because there's an application, and you know later on through Fight Club we came up with this little what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? You know how do I apply it? And that's what was happening back then. Uh, the other guy that was uh, you know a pastor here and speaking substantially more than John because that was an anomaly that he was there. This is how God works. The one day that I get my wife off my back is the one day that John preaches, and he didn't preach again for I'm going to say probably six months. After that, the other guy did. The other guy wasn't bad, but he wasn't great, right? And uh, I was—I would find myself leaning towards who I used to be towards that. Uh, the message was uh, was here. Here was the message John gave: You don't have to take a shower before you take a bath. That was basically it. I could not tell you what the sermon was about, but that's what I took away. Come right now. Uh, yeah, you're all jacked up. So is everybody else. Get over yourself. Um, it's time to suit up and show up. Uh, if you want this to be real, then this is what we're going to do. Um, so, John, do you have a reply to that yeah, at all? Yeah, because it's just, you know, it's so weird. Uh, we, you know, we already covered my change of life story in episode one and two. Uh, and then in episode three, we talked about you and I building, you know, just trying to make the church we always wanted to go to. Yeah. But listening to you talk, um, one of the things that I'm reminded of is that's what you were feeling. I was feeling the exact same thing on the other side of the coin. So something you referred to that I want to fly past is, you know, in the Christian ghetto, we talk about Jesus being our prophet, our priest, and king. But you and I have talked about how different leaders within a church seem to have one of those Gifting, so to speak, one's a little bit more prophetic. Someone that teaches uh, the Bible as uh, as a truth teller. Yeah. Someone who's a king that's just a good leader um, that maybe is good with the organizational or or the we hate to say this but the business side of things. Or a priest, someone who um, is really good at counseling you or caring for you or helping you live that out on a practical day to day basis. You're sitting here saying, "Wow, there's you know I really saw that prophet thing strong in John." What I was attracted to to you was this was one of the first guys that I had ever met who was authentic through and through as a priest, where this was a guy that it was okay to be me. 
where very quickly I learned, hey, look, you're a preacher's kid. You know what goes on behind the curtain. Hey, I was born and raised in the Christian ghetto. You were born in the Christian ghetto. But what I was attracted to was now I'm learning the language of recovery, which said it's okay to really be me with all my faults. Like I didn't have to put on a mask. I didn't have to be someone fake. And I see it now, but the same thing that attracted you to me, oh, this guy's for real. I was attracted to you. Hmm. One of the things you said early on was, wouldn't it be great if church was run like an AA meeting where you were just free to be who you are with all of your struggles, with all of your fears, with all of your, you know, the places where you fail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I I honestly didn't know that. Uh, And that's a heck of a compliment. So thank you. Well, if you're, I mean, if you listen, I think it was episode three. When I had that big meeting, you know, I'm not trying to speed it along, but, you know, after a couple of years of working with Tim, you know, we got to this place where I thought I was moving to bigger and better things. And everyone in the room was going, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, you're going to move to a big city. And Tim stands up and goes, no, you're not going anywhere. And some other things I can't say in the podcast, you know, and it's like, you're staying here. And it was like, oh, okay, dang, this guy. So in that in that piece of that transition, when you're seeing these things, okay, now – you're kind of you've you've said it. You're the world's oldest youth volunteer. Why the heck am I here? What's going on? Did you start to kind of this pool to be a part of the tabernacle, to be a part of ministry? You're plugging in at the firehouse, this youth center that's going on. Was there something developing in you where you're like, okay, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah, um, you know, God needed to work really hard on me with that. Uh, you know, there's there's a just before we get to that, um, you know, early on in in my attendance here uh, and and through some of the firehouse stuff, uh, I suddenly realized everything that I'd been running from was real, um, and that I had manipulated my way out of believing it, uh, self delusion, um, and there was this beautiful, you know, time where the. You know, the sermons, the topic, the talk, the interaction, all of that stuff. It became so permanently real that, uh, you know, it was, it was like I tasted uh, Jesus for the first time. Wow. You know, it wow. was it was more like that. It wasn't a – I didn't have a flash. It was like this is the meaning of life. I can't believe it. I'm only – have some gray hair and I figured it out, right? Uh that's who God put in my life. Um, so in, in the business world that I was in, uh, you know, there's 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 pressure in any job, right? But probably the most defeating pressure that I've ever lived under for an extended period of time is you have a sales goal for the month and you watch it go up by percentages each day and you, you make it and you win and you come in the next day and it's right back to zero. They don't leave it up for a second. Um, so you're always chasing. That's just it. And I'd been working with uh, uh, some of the some of the youth, some of the students, and uh, I, I got a phone call. Could you come over to our house? We're really struggling with food and a couple of other things. And I went there, and uh, um, I want to make sure I don't really give any clues as to who or where, but uh, they had a dirt floor in their home, and I was shocked. I I never. I mean, it's like I'm in Appalachia is what it felt like, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just kind of a lean to put together in a really weird way. Uh, and they had several dogs, and I noticed that the dogs had uh, fifty pound bags of food, um, but the kids didn't have any. 
um, you know, mom and dad were both there and they couldn't see that and yeah. I could and I'm devastated. You know, I did what I could. Um, and uh, the next day I'm just devastated at, at work. It's like, I'm look what I'm selling. You know, this is a wholesale. This is a $3,000 TV. You know, this is a, you know, wholesale. This is a whatever, you know, it's all very, in my mind, luxurious, uh, especially after what I just saw. And I got, ended up getting a phone call from a guy, uh, and he's a lawyer out of Chicago. And, uh, one of our customers had done a, a lot of work in a very, very expensive home. And, uh, they had come up for the weekend. It was their first weekend up. And they, by the way, had two other homes besides their home in Chicago. So they had four, uh, that they would travel around to. And, uh, one of the TVs didn't work. And by the time I finished that phone call, he was going to own the company and I would be bankrupt. And, you know, it was just incredibly threatening. And so the dichotomy of those two things, the, just the, the, the vast difference between those two worlds. And it's like, I want to be in the dirt floor world. I don't, I don't ever want to be in this world again. And that was my, I, I it was, uh, three days later I went and talked to Heidi and I said, uh, how would you feel if I quit uh, my current job, you know, all the benefits, everything that I have? And I worked for the church for no pay. And my wife, this is a sign of the amazing amount of growth she went through, said, I wonder what took you so long. <laughs> That's what you're called to do. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers your question, but it was like profound. Uh, this is what you need to do. And the the rewards out of it um, – my accountant said to us numerous times, I have no clue how you guys make it. Um, like, on paper, you shouldn't. Uh, so God's provision was astounding during that time. There's a couple guys from this church, and they know who they are from way back in the day. When I was the world's oldest youth pastor, he used to come up and give me a $50 handshake. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, man, they like, thank you for that. I know I've said thank you in the past, but... Man, you see one of the laborers for the kingdom, and that's laid on your heart. Uh, do it. Um, it was a vast witness to me and my wife. So, so, so the tab was going under. A, a, or there was a season of transition where the lead pastor had resigned, and where the where the trajectory of my life was was changing. And uh, just to spell it out, because Tim is a humble guy, is he quit his job um, to volunteer full-time at the church and whenever a church goes under transition there's a lot of uncertainty there's uncertainty about who's going to stay who's going to go where the offering's going to be all this type of thing and and there was a long time i mean it was it was it was more than months oh yeah it, it was it was a long time where tim and heidi are living on faith they're living on faith but there was a book that i remember somebody gave you that you may or may not have thrown across the room was was I mean? Did God use that in any way in your life as well? Some book besides the Bible? Yeah, He showed me. Uh, that's where you need to repair the drywall. Um, <laughs> is, is what He showed me. Now the book is uh, uh, called The Barbarian Way, and uh, again, it came out. Um, it was huge in my life. Erwin Ir- McManus is the author. So if you're looking for it, it's out there. Buy it, read it. Don't be we'll a coward. Have it in the show notes. And uh, <laughs> you know there are so many stories in there. Uh, that resonated and the resonating factor is you know as a kid when we're little we play these fantasy games right and uh the fantasy games are usually 
warrior related and in these warrior related we're never the you know fifth guy or the fifth row back 75th guy to the left in the army we're always leading that's the fantasy and uh he had a number of stories involving militaristic type things one was halo Mm -hmm. with a high altitude low opening um parachutes yeah, uh, and it's a military thing. You're not going to do that for fun, you fools. Uh, you know, it's 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 a high adrenaline thing. But the other one that that just hit me was uh, when he's telling the story of a of a warrior guy, and on his chest he's got uh, this little vessel that he wears on a chain, and uh, it's the the literal heart of his king. And uh, they him and his him and his bros, his mighty men, are coming to this battle. And they're going to get outnumbered. It's not going to go well for them. Um, and as inspiration, he throws, uh, he rips that off from his chain and throws it in the middle of the enemies. And he says, fight for your, the heart of your king. And it's just like, that's what I want to do. Uh, gave me goosebumps. I'm like super fired up and let's go. Um, stop being wimps uh, to myself uh, and maybe to a, a couple of people around me because I'm not always that quiet. But in that moment was like that. That's my desire. Um, and, and one of the things sometimes I teach in counseling is, uh, you know, we all grow up and somebody at some point in our life will say, get your uh Head out of the clouds, you know, stop living in the fantasy world, get responsible and grow up. And that's a beautiful thing. And yeah, that's actually true. But the part of it is God wired us to react to that story. So sometimes that fantasy could be the most important thing we chase. Uh, It's a metaphor. And I'm not saying pick up and go to war unless you're picking up the message, you know, the message from Jesus and you're bringing it wherever, regardless of the cost. Uh, And and that just fired me up. Yeah. So you're. The world's oldest youth volunteer at this point, because John is now, and if you don't know this whole story, we don't have to go into it. You can go listen to one of our past episodes, um, Building the Church, we always wanted to go to. But John's transitioned into the lead pastor role. You're now running the firehouse, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so he's not world's oldest youth volunteer. He's world's oldest youth pastor. Okay. I had that title That's an official title. Yeah. Yeah. And so as you're doing that, I know that there's a – when you step into kind of vocational ministry, there's a – responsibility and a piece that kind of, okay, now this is my job. Did you find that in that there was any transitions like in your relationship with God and how that he was working in you because it was no longer, oh, I go to this cool church, but now like, okay, I'm I'm in this thing. I'm in the thick of it and, and I can't just go home after the service. I have to be here Monday through. And so was there a shift in any of that? Was there like a... Yeah, uh, there was a massive shift. Uh, one of the things I've uh, I have always been gifted at, I think, is uh, is learning how to play. Um, and that never left me, uh, how to play. And so, you know, if you go for dinner with me at a restaurant, if I know somebody at another table, the chances of me picking up a pack of sugar, widening it into a little basketball and shooting it at them is very high uh, because it's we're supposed to have joy. And uh, just as a dis- disclaimer, if you are out to dinner with him and he does that, he's not going to announce it. You're just going to witness it happen. Yeah. And if you're in a really nice restaurant, it's an uncomfortable feeling. It will freak you out just <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I've been there. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's uh, – uh, it's like God said, hey, do you see how sometimes I've wired you? Um, that's the part of you I want to use. Okay, you take your, the, the king of your uh, – fighting for the heart of your king, right? Uh, but I wired you to do it this way. Um, imagine uh, – you know, and I think I said this in the other that one other podcast was, uh, you know, following John. You, that's a lose-lose. Uh, just in – 
speaking capabilities. Uh, but I brought a different light and, uh, you know, a sense of humor and fun and those types of things with a desperate desire. Um, you know, through all of my uh, AA stuff, um, you know, the the 11th verse is, is or 11 verse, 11th step is how to uh, just how to how to have more contact with the king of the universe. Right. Um, and, and seeking his will. Uh, and then the 12th step is, uh, hey, uh, you're called on to be a missionary no matter where you are. Uh, you've been set free. Stop hogging that. Move it along. And you, sometimes in, in those meetings, you deal with some less than savory characters that are, real, you know, really, really struggling. Uh, and you need to make the choice. You're going to walk alongside. So I didn't have a fear of the kids. Uh, and that job aspect, yeah, I would get tired maybe a little faster than most youth pastors. Um, but most youth pastors didn't put in a uh, a ten acre or no, it wasn't ten. It was about seven acre uh, paintball field in their yard and host it once a week because paintball is fun, right? <laughs> and um, God taught me how to do that and draw people close. The kids loved it. Some of the dads played, but a lot of the dads, uh, several dads came and they wouldn't play uh but they'd go hey man uh see so you guys are feeding hot dogs every week uh could i bring pizza next week and they'd bring pizza for you know 30 kids out there uh and the dad and i would sit on the deck and they'd start asking me about the church far from god and it's like wow you know eventually i got paid you know to be here and uh it's like everybody going i'd be like man i, I get paid to do that yeah, and yeah. it was it was it was cool. I mean, those those times I just get a smile just thinking about them because um, not that we don't still take risks, but we're taking huge risks, huge risks for the kingdom. There was a moment, uh, and this is our podcast, so we can just go there, right? And I, there's only like five people listening anyway, so we can go ahead and talk this way. Mm-hmm. Is I'm sitting in a board meeting and I'm presenting a a uh, a proposal that we hire Tim because now we've kind of. Uh, made the transition. I'm being the lead pastor. Uh, I want Tim because there's no one I can imagine uh, being a partner with in ministry. This is a guy who's not afraid to speak the truth, but he says it in love, and I know he's for me, and I'm for him. And you know, he comes from the Calvinist side. I come from a Wesleyan side, and it's this mashup, and this is perfect, right? And so I remember saying, "Hey, we need to hire Tim." And at first. Everyone was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, this is great. And then one person is like, um, yeah, he's a little bit old. And I'm like, yeah, but, uh, you know, who else are we going to, you know, get to be the, you know, I know he's 10 years older than me, but, you know, he's he's doing all this stuff with ministry, right? And then one person, and uh, I won't say their name, but it's like, uh, John, there's just one thing. Um, and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, um, we love Tim. Tim's great, but... Tim smokes. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> and he's like, is that the best, you know? And I said, okay, hold up. We're going to stop right there. And I said, this guy has quit his job for almost a year to be our youth pastor for free. He's leading kids to Christ. He's got paintball ministries going on in the summertime. He's taking students a big ticket. Lives are being changed. He's having godly conversations. God's using him, there's fruit, and he's doing it for free. And I remember looking at the board and going, which one of you is going to quit your job and do that? The same guy that had said that goes, 
I make a motion we hire Tim. (laughs) (laughs) It was end of discussion. It was like, we're not going to make cigarettes the reason or cigars the reason someone uh, uh, is getting saved or, you you know, is going to heaven or not going to heaven. That's that's really awesome. I forgot all about that. (laughs) I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the the, the smoking thing. Um, so sometimes uh, what I find is you know there's a huge different. Oops, I'm sorry. I just punched my mic. That was my <laughs> bad. That's because Martin is flashing coffee out there, it's and I almost come leave. In. For it's it. our podcast. I, we can I, do whatever we I, want. I, I think come so. on in, Martin. Yeah, somebody tell him to come in with the coffee. Uh, oh, 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 it's Tracy. Tracy, it's Tracy. come Thank on you, in, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. Yes. We appreciate it. Yes. Beautiful. Amazing. So uh, what was I talking about? Smoking. Smoking. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And coffee. Uh, yeah, smoking and coffee. Um, so there, there could be this attractional piece. So we've got a lot of different people that will speak. You know, Britain, uh, football players are probably going to identify with you a little bit more than me. Right. And, uh, you know, Ben, you're like the all-star North American hero who we all want to look like and dress like and talk like, you know, and you have an attraction there and that's really awesome. Well, mine is, uh, Hey, I'm jacked up and let me tell you some jacked up stories. What I found in that is, uh, you can hear these guys porn. Can you hear that? Yeah, it's cool. But, but what I found is, uh, we had this group of people that were attending our church and we're growing like mad and we're like, hey, let's, you know, whatever it takes, let's let's do this. As long as we're staying true to the gospel, let's go for it. Try something new. And we had a, a little bench sitting outside with uh, an ashtray. And uh, actually, I had a battle to get us ashtrays and that was awesome too. Yep, but I got yep. us ashtrays and that's a different story. But I'm sitting out there and I'm watching people in the summertime and they... We used to have a parking lot where the where T two is, uh, and it was a dirt parking lot. Uh, part of it was it's called Lake Gitchigumi North when it rained. But you know, people would be over there, and they'd get out of their car, and all of a sudden, it's like I don't know that person. That's my thought. And then I would see how they they do this little Buckley walk. Like I don't know what to do. I think I want to go in that building, but I don't know how to get in that building without everybody looking at me. And uh, they would. Uh, look over and they'd see me on the bench smoking and i've got an ashtray next to me and all of a sudden they smoked too and we're sharing lighters and we're telling stories and life is like they said something set them free enough it became easier for them to to walk walk into that door and you know i'd walk in with them and then the next thing they'd know is i pop up on stage and they're like uh and i'm not saying that's a justification to smoke if you smoke quit if you can't quit quit often uh so you, whatever your doctor says listen to him I, I believe that but in this instance uh it became almost I'm, it's not a smoking ministry but you know it became a scene, smoking it, ministry it's a i'll smoke, say it it's a smoking, <laughs> i'll say it and yeah. and I'm, I'm gonna tell you i had that experience i'm gonna say a hundred times yeah. uh you know to the point where the new t2 we have a smoking gazebo mm. uh, because i got sick of uh Smokers being treated like lepers, you know, uh, stay outside, stay away from us. Oh, you have to be 40 feet away from the door, whatever. And go go stand in the rain yeah. uh, while you do that evil thing. And it's like, you know, you know, it's not healthy for us. It isn't good. But here's a place and you're welcome. Right. right. Yeah. And within that, I think there's a consistency that I'm seeing from your story and from your life is there's this piece of you that is there. 
whether being able to be explained or not, but God is using it Yes, to do ministry, to, to bring people and to welcome people into the kingdom, whether it's playing paintball and making hot dogs or it's smoking a cigar with the guy that this might be his last step before yeah. who knows what, right? You're showing up to AA and you're sitting down at this place with people that are uncomfortable, far from God, but you're putting yourself in these situations where you're near people that are far from God. And I, I really want to come back to this place of this is the Tim Burgess change life story, right? And so yeah. we're seeing your life is changing. Therefore, whenever your life is changed, you have this new set of desires to see other people's lives changed. But within all of that, your life is still developing and changing and doing all these things. So I want to get back to this place of like, you're seeing all this fruit. You're seeing these things happen. What's that doing in you for is that is that, are you getting more fired up for ministry? Or are you finding yourself getting tired? Was there a point where it was like what was going on there? Yeah, uh, part of it's a blur um, because it was changing so fast. And if you spend a minute with John in any type of work situation, John's the type that will have you build a wall uh, and and paint it and make it look pretty, and then walk in and say, "Tear it down." That's never happened. I don't want a wall. I want a pool. (laughs) Right. Uh, And and those changes were really necessary. And I really bought into that later on. Is I'm I'm, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but we had a couple times when we changed times. We said it in a podcast already. Awesome. Good. Good. Okay. So (laughs) you've already been criminalized. Finish the statement. We've changed times just just to to mess mess with with people people. (laughs) Uh, because we were creatures of comfort. It was like, no, let's make it uncomfortable. do you and, see and, that? Do you see God doing that in your life? Though, yeah, oh, all the time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, from uh, sitting on a swing mm-hmm. with a cup of coffee with a beautiful woman uh, and going to play and work on my house. Uh, that's a pretty simple life. Yeah. Uh, pretty blink, enviable. You're and then blink here, here I am. Uh, I'm now committed, but more than that, I'm convicted. Mm. Uh, and and you know that was such a vast part of it that uh, that uh, burnout factor doesn't happen yeah it does however um i would love if the church was able to afford a policy where okay you're in this leadership role and you're there for seven years you're going to take an x amount of time that would be awesome that in a perfect world but more than that i think it's our responsibility as leaders to continue to teach how to live sabbatically and that's been something i've been working on when did you uh get forced on a sabbatical john about 10 years about ago. 10 years ago so i've been working on that for about 10 years i don't want to glance past the statement you just said because Uh-oh. i think that within these change life stories there's always a nugget there's always something that as your life's changing there's a piece of that that if people would just buy into this piece maybe we could see and the desire of this is to see more lives change to see god yeah. show up more in people's <laughs> lives like for instance in john's it was what are the yeses you need to say and you just said a statement, I think, that is that is really incredible, and I see it in your life often, is you're not just committed to the work of the ministry, but you're convicted first yeah. and foremost by God. And I don't want to gl- – what did that look like for you as that was shifting? Um, because the first time you the, came in, it was, this guy's cool. Yeah. The uh, – I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. There's this really, really, really good um, picture of it. And for for me, uh, the conviction part was the settling of my heart. Okay, because we're looking for meanings, we're looking for purpose, uh, we're 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 looking how to be okay, 
you know, way back in the day, there was a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay, uh, complete BS, but uh, I would recommend not reading that one, um, you know, because it's justifying sin really is what it's doing. And we're not all okay. Uh, the truth is, is I'm not okay and you're not okay. Uh, we need Jesus. Uh, but I'll have someone say to me, I really struggle with the 11th step, you know, uh, and the 11th step is uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understand and praying only for the knowledge of his will for my life and the power to carry it out. I mean, how does that not about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? Anyways, uh, we make it so complicated. And, you know, I've shared with so many of my uh, fellow alcoholics and drug addicts, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, Stop looking for God's will in Africa somewhere. You want to know what God's will is for you today? Don't drink. Start there. The rest will follow. Don't drink. You know, that you, you lost the game then. Then you're all the way back to step zero. Uh, and the conviction part of it for me is like once I said yes, uh, I didn't have to ask that question anymore. God's like, you're worried about my will? Um, you have the opportunity to suit up and show up every day. That's all I'm asking of you. Ideas are going to come and opportunities. We have said around here forever, the the interruption is the ministry. So we have all these plans. We set out calendars. I mean, there's so many calendars around this place. My calendar I read, and it's like, oh, I'm a busy man. Uh, no, what happens is there's an interruption that throws a calendar out. That's why it's so important to live sabbatically so that when the opportunity comes, we have the energy. I don't have to take a break. I don't have to be devastated by whatever situation. It doesn't mean my heart might not hurt, but I have to suit up and show up. This is God's will. He's, he's like saying, to the best of your flawed ability, Tim, uh, will, will you represent me for a minute and, and do it in a way that is actually attractional? Um, and, and like, will you sit with someone? Will, will you do that? Uh, that's the conviction. There's, there's a sense of peace about that. Um, I'm not looking for what to do or what to be when I grow up or hoping that I become a better Christian later. Uh, that, I'm hoping that happens, yeah, but that's not, I, I'm not using that as a reason not to do today. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And okay. I think, too, what I'm hearing in that is there's an empowerment point whenever you realize that God can use you where you're at. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's that whole you don't have to take a bath before you take a shower piece, but it's just this piece of if I'm willing to submit to his grace and to, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, be who God's designed me to be and not try to be who God designed mm -hmm. John to be or be who God designed Ben to be, but to be Tim. Yeah. The way God made Tim to be. I think that's where we're seeing this kind of the fruit that's come from your ministry that we that I mean, it's it's undeniable. It's beautiful and it's incredible and it's awesome to get to hear about. But I think that's what I'm hearing in that piece. And I think that's the encouragement I want people to find in this. Yeah. Amen. Is who you are is who God made you. And there's pieces of that that maybe, yeah, at an unhealthy state you find as a flaw, but as you develop and you become and find health within that. Oh, how cool it is how God wants to use it. And I think that that's a piece from your story that's really encouraging for me. Good. Yeah, and, so, and it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, to go back to that thing that was so helpful, and Tim and I stole it for someone else, this whole prophet, priest, and thing, or priest, prophet, priest, and king thing. Um, if you have a church, and it's just made up of all the staff of prophets, forever they're going to hear what they need to be doing and why. But without a king, they have no idea how to get there. Or how to be organized, or how to be on time, or or or, or you know, there's not enough bullets or flow charts or budgets that are met. Without a priest, you don't even know who you're going there with. 
The priest is the one that, and, and this is where God has used him in my life. I don't know how many of those, well, just winners in the last 18 years that I'm just so bitter and angry. I'm walking across that parking lot on a Monday or a Tuesday, and it's like, I should be in Brazil. I should be someplace hot. I should be anywhere but up in the great white land of misfit toys, right, where I'm freezing. And Tim's outside staring up at the one you know, glimpse of sun, and he's looking at me and goes, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> isn't that beautiful? For a guy that comes from the angle that I come from, I need that in my life. I need a guy that's pointing out, you know what kind of tree that is, John? That's that kind of tree. Because all I see is trees. But Tim knows the kind of trees that it is, the kind of wood that it produces, uh, the uses for those things. That's the heart of a priest. And if anyone knows Tim and knows the ministry that he's had here, it's not just a church. I mean, I'm thinking about there was a decade, Tim's most powerful outreach for our church in this community was sitting up at a local restaurant, you know, back when we were allowed to still go to restaurants. And he's he's studying for a lesson or studying for a sermon or studying whatever, you know, he's playing catch up on his, you know, seminary degree. And somebody just pops in and says, hey, can I talk to you? You're from that church up there. And I, I don't want to say holding court, but that became the counseling booth, yeah. essentially, or more like a confessional uh, where that's something that, to be honest, I'm not good at. And to this day, like we still have people all the time, and I don't want you to feel bad if you're one of those listeners, but they'll call the church or they'll call me, hey, man, can I just have, you know, I just really want to sit down and talk to you and have 30 minutes of your time or 45 minutes. And it's not that I don't want to. I'm always going, you know who's really better at that than me? Tim. Because you can fool me. You can manipulate me. But you can't manipulate a great manipulator. Not that I'm not manipulative because you've called me out on that too, but I'm saying... This guy can uh, just so much better at the priest part, oh, at the counseling absolutely. part. You know, yeah. And I think um, as we kind of look at kind of this this closing of this change life story, and you're you're now in ministry, and people, um, if they want to hear the rest of the story, they can just come hang out, yeah, and ask you some questions. But I think as we're closing up, is there any pieces as you look at your change life story, some things that we've talked about, any pieces, any piece of encouragement that you found along the way, a nugget that you've kind of held on to for a while? Is there Anything you want to share? Yeah. Uh, there, there's something definitive that I want to say. And uh, in our world as Americans, uh, we like to think about our uh, our history, and we come from all of these other weird countries, you know. So none of us are original here. But we come in, and we'll hear often about how hard somebody worked, you know. And uh, I've I spent a lot of my life trying to work. Uh, my way to happiness, I guess, was original. And, and, you know, today's Jesus has taught me that it's joy that I'm really looking for uh, because joy can happen in all circumstances. But it had nothing to do with how much effort I put into it. Now, you can say, oh, you went to two meetings every day for, yeah, yeah, that's because I was weak. It wasn't because I was strong. Uh, it's because that's the only way I could make it through the day. Uh, letting... Uh, the message of Christ um, actually permeate my brain. Then it took five years for it to, you know, melt its way down to my heart. And I'm not any smarter or wiser or harder worker than anybody else. This is the spirit of God working. Um, and that doesn't mean there isn't a job to do or sometimes even some struggles, but it's uh, <laughs> let, let, letting go. Uh 
and letting him do the change. And the change I didn't even see coming until later. Other people see it first. And uh, that's actually a really beautiful thing. Um, that's it. That's what I got is, uh, is stop trying to work so dang hard. Yeah. And, uh, Tim, I just got to say your changed life um, has impacted a lot of other people. And I, I know you got to, for you to sit and hear this, um, I know you know how to say thank you, but I need you to receive this. Is when I showed up at the tabernacle, yeah, John's a really good speaker. But the first time I heard you speak and you got up on stage and you had, I think you had a hole in your T-shirt and a pair of blue jeans and a pair of work boots on. And um, you spoke about where you had been and what God had delivered you from. And you spoke frankly and authentically and genuinely about your addiction. And then you spoke about your love of Jesus. And I sat there. And you, you didn't even know I was there at that time. But I looked up and I went, that's a guy I want to be like because he's real, he's genuine, and I think he might be able to show me how to how to follow Jesus. So thanks for uh, reflecting Jesus in a really authentic way that this guy could hear. So Thanks, Ben. You're yeah, welcome. Ben, that's awesome. T- ben, Tim, thank you guys yeah. uh, so much for coming and just kind of giving the time to the podcast. We know that um, it's it's hard putting it out there sometimes for, for the whole world to hear, but we appreciate the vulnerability and the transparency that um, you showed in that. And uh, Tab family, you know what's coming now. Uh, it's the ask. We do it every episode. Um, so if you um, are new to the podcast, we're glad you're here. And uh, we'd ask that you go back and listen to the rest of the episodes. If you get a chance, um, share these episodes with somebody that maybe you think need them, <laughs> as, as bad as that sounds. But we talked about a lot of things, and I can think of some people in my life that I really hope are able to listen to the story that uh, Tim just shared. And so um, if there's somebody that you think could, could find encouragement in this, don't, don't be shy. You don't have to say it. Let us say it for you. And uh, so I would encourage you to share these episodes. Um, keep up to date with what the tab's doing and uh, make sure the number one rule on this podcast is you rate this episode five stars. Five stars. Because uh, that's important to us for some reason. We don't know why, but it is. We'll probably have a change life story. Algorithms are real. We'll have a change life story someday about, man, that guy didn't rate five stars and it messed with me. And then years later after counseling with Tim, I got over the five star rating. But I'm not there yet, so keep rating five stars. Five stars uh, is is how you get into heaven. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty (laughs) sure. He says it every week. I don't know if it's true or not. Pretty sure. (laughs) But... He's the prophet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not true. And if you believe that, you'll need a priest to help you. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening. Tim, Ben, thank you so much. Tabernacle family, this is John and Britton signing off.